we're going to start by asking you a little bit about your writing process. How did you begin and how do you continue? Um, so when I started writing the accident season, I wrote this, I kind of rush a first draft. I wrote the first draft in six weeks and it, I sort of lived it. It was all around me and I couldn't think about anything else and it was rubbish. It was like I wrote an absolutely rubbish first draft um, that's sort of heavy on the mood and various little ideas and characters and that then after many 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 rounds of edits actually becomes a book. Uh, so that's kind of that's how I wrote the accident season. That's how I wrote my second novel. I'm writing my third at the moment, and I'm actually doing research Ooh. and planning. <laughs> and um, so it's kind of a, yeah, it's a different, um, a bit of a different process this time around. But usually it is write a rubbish, rapid first draft, and then tighten everything in edits. <laughs> and do you have help with those edits, or how do you know it's rubbish? Um, because there are parts, well, because it's very confusing, it doesn't make any sense, mostly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, I do have help with the edits. I had, um, well, when I was writing The Accident Season, I didn't sort of have a, a book dealer, an agent, or anything, so I kind of had to edit it a couple of times myself as best I could. Um, but now I have, I have an agent, I have wonderful editors who help um, me make sense. Um, and has that changed your writing process then, being conscious of this team around you, helping? I think so, yeah. Um, it makes the first draft a little more terrifying because you know that people are reading this rubbish, um, but also uh, it, it does make it kind of easier to, you're, you're sort of, you've got your eye on what they're going to be looking for, and so I think it, yeah, it does, it, it does help, it does kind of, yeah, help the process. <laughs> and you studied the, the NFL that you were here, doing the NFL in popular literature. And do you think that affected your writing or changed how you were approaching writing in any way? Um, I'm not sure that it did. I did, I, I did the NFL here in, I think, 2008, 2009. Um, so that was, and I'd always kind of written fiction at the same time, but not sort of with the view, not, not kind of seriously with the view to get published. Um, so it might have subconsciously, it definitely, um, it definitely had an impact on the way I read um, okay. popular literature, sort of especially genre fiction. Um, I think that I read more critically um, and sort of more. I don't know. Before before doing the unfill, I would have had these sort of notions about kind of guilty pleasures and and, and chiclet and all of these kind of things. And I think that uh, there's definitely an, yeah an eye opener and kind of a way of uh, of reading more critically. But I, I don't necessarily know that it impacted my writing. Okay. <laughs> it may have, <laughs> but I don't think so. I don't know. Do you think you became more aware of different types of audiences for books? Though? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and also, I suppose, yeah, more open to the kind of the messages and merit of various kinds of fiction apart from the, like, aside from the sort of canon and, um, <laughs> which, <laughs> I mean, and the accidents is, is it's billed as YA. I mean, mm. that's where you find it in bookshops and things that you take um, <laughs> What do you think are the particular challenges of writing YA then, as opposed to, you know, you mentioned chiclet or genre fiction? Why, first of all, why YA? And then what, what are the particular problems of writing for that young audience? Um, all right, so why YA? 
because that's what I what I love reading. I love reading YA. Um, I think there is such a wealth of really great young adult fiction, and I sort of came to reading YA as a kind of a late teen, and I sort of when I was 16, 17, as opposed to, to younger, and so I, and when I write, I think I write within that, um, with, with what I, I, re I write with what I read kind of behind me, and, um, and also because, yeah, adolescence is a really interesting kind of time shoot, and it's an interesting, uh, there's a lot of interesting themes to play around with and to, and to write about. Um, when it comes to sort of challenges of writing way, I think the only one, and it's probably similar in other kind of genre fiction, um, is that there has to be a sort of a tightness of plot and it needs to sort of, uh, the story needs to, to go relatively fast to kind of, it, the, the idea is to keep kind of readers entertained and I think that's probably the same in, in in, in chiclet or in or in cyber in horror, um, but I'm not a very plot focused person a lot of the time. So um, I find that yeah, a lot of these kind of multiple edits are are in sort of making this yeah making the story make sense the whole lot of the way. And I don't know necessarily because I don't I haven't written outside of it, so I don't know if that's uh, a particular ch challenge of that category, but. I suspect it's part of it, okay. um, but it's a really interesting challenge, and I, yeah, I like it. It's, it's a definitely a good writing exercise as well. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, you, you talk about adolescence as it's really interesting period. And mm. one of the things I'm struck by when reading the accident season are these sort of spaces that teenagers use that tend to get overlooked by other people. There's a couple of scenes set in this little clearing and forest, and a couple of scenes back of the school, not the front or in the classroom, the back of the school, which I think is really interesting. I mean, if plot wasn't part of your writing process, your first draft process, is place part of that process for you? Definitely, yeah. Um, and I really love that idea, the idea of, um, of sort of teenage-centric spaces or spaces that teenagers claim, mm -hmm. because they're not, they're not made for, they're not, you know, a youth club or, or anything like that, that, or even kind of cinemas, which arguably were kind of but they're for young people but um, originally but they are the yeah sort of the liminal spaces the unobserved spaces um, and I think that a lot of people had those in in their teenage years you know you used to smoke around the back of the school building and you used to um, have these yeah these sort of unobserved spaces and I think they're it's not only are they part of the reality of kind of a lot of teenagers' lives, but they're also a really great way of talking about, I say liminality, <laughs> the liminality of, of sort of, of, of adolescence and the sort of the in-between spaces and, and the, the borders. And I think that's definitely something that, that I was interested in writing about the, yeah, the bridges and rivers, the abandoned places. And, okay. It's definitely something that's, that keeps coming up in my writing, so it's obviously... Um, it must be key, then. Yeah, I I mean, and the other place that comes up a lot, it's very visible in the accent season, is Galway. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do conscious of sort of saying, when we write an Irish novel, it's going to have a real Irish flavour to it, or that the setting is going to come through somehow, or 
did it just happen to go away? It could have been Dublin or Well, I don't think it could have been Dublin. Um, I did want to write an Irish novel because I've always, like I said, I've, I've read YA for many, many years. And while there are some really, really great YA novels set in Ireland, um, I, there aren't that many. And I felt like, especially when I was writing, this was kind of, I started writing what, five, six years ago. There, there weren't so many kind of, yeah, spaces that I recognized. Um, so I did what I wanted to write, an Irish, a novel set in Ireland. And um, my parents have a house um, outside of Ballinroe, County Mayo. So it's kind of on the Galway Mayo border. I don't know if anyone knows it. And it's sort of a, an Irish small town, and um, it doesn't necessarily have, you know, that there are some landscapes in Ireland that are very recognisable. You know, you've got kind of the Burren, you've got the, the Wicklow Mountains, you've got kind of places that you would recognise. And I felt like I wanted to, I wanted to set a book in an Irish small town in the way that a lot of YA, especially American YA, is set in the American small town, the sort of generic ubiquitous yeah. US small town. And I sort of wanted to to give that a go in an Irish kind of setting. Let's see how that worked. <laughs> I, I, I think it worked very well. I think it worked very well. But I, and the, the, I mean, there's elements of it that seem so specific, and there's other elements that seem really, I don't know, of the universe, and there's things that resonate through, and I'm sure would resonate with readers anywhere, and there's bits that seem very recognisably Irish, um, particularly the dialogue and people's accents come through and things. But, I mean, one of the other things that I'm intrigued by was your bio on your, your homepage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, half French, half Irish, and oh. one half likes sad endings, and the other likes happy endings, and one likes wine, and one likes tea. And what, I mean, are both these halves very happy with the accents, or do you feel like one, one out over the other? Um, yeah, I think that, I think I tried to find the balance between them. I think, when I started writing it, I wanted to write something that felt very sort of dreamy and whimsical and magical, and in the way that in the way that I think life is sometimes like that that life is maybe when you're a teenager, maybe still now. I think that there can be a lot of. I wanted to write something that played with the idea of the ordinary being extraordinary and the everyday being a little bit magical. Um, so I suppose that was the tea and happy endings part. And as I was writing, I realized that. Because, I, because as I said, I don't plan, I just sort of <laughs> I just, just get it on, I think. Yeah. Um, I realized that this book was going to be dealing with a lot of sort of fairly serious real life topic, you know, uh, sexual abuse and intimate partner violence and all of these sort of very, very real, very dark themes. Um, and so I sort of, I said that there was this kind of darkness kind of creeping into the magic. And so I think there's definitely, yeah, definitely a balance. I think. Probably the tea and happy endings wins out, but I think it might depend on depend on how you interpret it. <laughs> I mean, do you think that that's peculiar to particular characters? Kara, the, the, the narrator, has this quite positive outlook on life, you know, and, and is quite hopeful. And she's very much a tea and happy endings kind of mm. girl. Um, where Alice and, and B are some quite darker. Um, mm -hmm. And what it, I mean, do you feel like these different characters express different? That it's a happy ending for some characters, but not necessarily for everybody in the same way, or things aren't quite so neatly sewn up at the end here. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, 
and there were a lot of things like that that I did want to kind of leave open and I wanted and also when you're when you're dealing with characters who are going through trauma you know that even at the end of the book that within the context of this uh, of this story they're still going to be dealing with kind of the fallout of, of everything that is all of the stories for uh, for many years um, so yeah I suppose they, they, yeah it's always the balance between the tea and happy end and the wine and dark stories and, and you, you talked about this in moments in everyday life that are slightly magical or have these I don't know slightly supernatural elements mm. just everyday life completely normally and one of the things I was really interested in was the secrets booth I'm a long-term reader of Post Secret and the secret sharing mm. website, and secrets become this huge part of the plot as mm. well as the, the mood <coughs> of the accident season. What role do you feel secrets would play in here? Yeah, I think um, I like to say that the accident season is a book about accidents. There's not a book about accidents; it's a book about secrets. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I, I was fascinated by Post Secret, um, which. For I don't know for those who don't know, so it's a it's a website where people anonymously send secrets on a postcard, and they're sort of published weekly. I think um, just a selection of them are published, and these are just people's sort of secrets that they that they send off. And I've always loved that idea, um, and especially the fact that if you are like like yourself, kind of a long term reader, you will see the same secrets come over and over again, and this sort of idea that um, that different people share different secrets, but because because of the nature of secrets, they don't know about it. Um, so yeah, I think that was that was sort of the driving force of of the plot, such as it was in the beginning. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was sort of what I was what I was interested in uh, in exploring how how characters deal with secrets. And it's interesting that you're saying that sort of Kara is this optimistic tea and happy endings person, whereas she could also be considered to be sort of willfully ignorant, you know, she's yes. sort of the secrets are over there and she's not thinking about them, whereas the other sort of more one and sad endings um, characters would be the ones who carry their secrets more sort of more obviously with them. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely a book about secrets. <laughs> and, and also in some ways a book about secrets secret beings or secrets within yourself. Mm. I mean, this is this is one great scene where there's a Halloween party where everybody comes dressed as who they truly are. Mm. I found this really intriguing. Um, and one of the characters comes dressed as a wood fairy and another comes as a mermaid and then there's a the boy who dresses as a, as a vaudeville screen character who's mm. flickering in and out of being real. Um, and you see sort of glimpses of other characters who've got these different things. I mean, do, do people have these secret selves, or do characters have these secret selves all the time? Do you think? Maybe both. Um, maybe both. Yeah, I like all hiding everything. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Um, I think that kind of getting back to YA, and a lot of this is kind of speaking from my own experience um, as as a teenager as well. I think that. Um, uh, sort of your teenage years at this time, where you where you can you're you're a lot more free to kind of try on different not so much personalities but different facets of personalities, and so the, so that you have this this space to decide what kind of person you are, what kind of person you want to be, um, and probably there's there's a lot about that that came into this the idea that um, 
your, your human self is the mask, <laughs> and, and the, it's very subtle, <laughs> you know, and the, um, and the masks are your real selves, and who, who you decide to put forward, and, and what you're hiding again, it comes back to, yeah, it comes back to secrets. And did you think about what you might know as to this part of your... Um, I think, I always thought I could, uh, could be a very good tree. <laughs> <laughs> I can actually talk about tree now. Sure, I hadn't thought about that. No, okay. <laughs> the sturdy ones. Confess me, because the landscape comes through. Yeah, I am. Like, what sort of tree? How would you say? Selkie, probably. But, yeah, I mean, then the, the, next, the next thing I suppose that follows off that, and maybe links back to what we were talking about a little earlier about genre fiction, but a lot of the critical reviews of this have described your work as magical realism. Mm. Are you happy with that label? Do you slightly resist that label? When people turn into trees and the yeah. Is, yeah. is it hard to resist? Uh, I, I love that label. I, yeah, I, I love magical realism, um, just as a genre. I think it's, it's my favorite type of fiction. And so obviously I love um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and, and Isabella Lende, but what I sort of grew up on was um, magic realism in YA, and there is like a, a fair amount of it. Um, I think Francesca Leah Block, who's this kind of American sort of glitzy, punky author, um, who's sort of sort of more a cult author, I think. But she's um, she's look her, she's very, very, very interesting, very sort of, and definitely magic realist um, kind of. Um, we were talking about David Almond as well, who's a you know, children's children's author. So yeah, I'm. Very happy to take on that that descriptor. Um, I think it's. I think I, I write with that sort of in the back of my mind a little bit. That I, I, I do I set out to write magic realism. Okay. So magic realism and YA, mm. and your current project. Tell me, is this going to be magic realism and YA? Oh yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I say I haven't I haven't quite um, perfected the elevator pitch on this one. So. Uh, it took me about a year and a half to, to get the one sentence kind of description of the accident season, and now I can say it in my sleep, so um, for a good babbling. So, yes, so the, my new novel is called Spellbook of the Lost and Found. It's coming out on the 1st of June, and it is the same. It's, it's kind of probably slightly more skewed towards the magic than the realism this time around. And it's the story of um, three small groups of friends in an Irish small town. Um, who at the town summer party each discovered that they had lost something. Um, and kind of subsequent to that, one of the groups finds this kind of tattered old book uh, with a spell inside it to call back lost things. And they decide to cast this spell to try and get the things that they had lost back. But in doing so, we'll lose more than they bargained for and discover that maybe some things should not be found. That was not bad as an elevator. Okay, I'm not happy with that. I'm going to record this. You can go back over. Yeah, <laughs> just take notes. And then I suppose it would be it would be a little selfish of me not to ask what advice you might have for other people who are thinking of writing, thinking of becoming writers. Because I think a lot of people start writing, but very few people get to the point where they finish writing, complete a project. So, what advice might you have for anybody listening or anybody in the room who's thinking of? Becoming mm. a YA magical realist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose because I've written a lot of things on the same, not quite finished. Um, I think the, the main thing is to, you know, to, 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 to finish the book, to write your sort of 70,000 or whatever words. Um, 
and I think it's just finding finding the story that clicks. Um, like I said, I I tend to write my first draft in this sort of haze of obsession. Um, so you have to fall in love with it to find something that you are willing to think about non-stop for well, realistically two years. And um, and once you found that, if you're kind of passionate about it, then it turns out other people will be too. You know, I wrote this book thinking this is just, this is for me. This is for teenage me, and it turns out that. Well, some other people like it as well. So, <laughs> so it's like when people share secrets without knowing that they share secrets. Teenage you and teenage lots of other people. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much.